This is a Media Lab podcast. Welcome to Kyle and Dave versus the Machine. My name is Kyle. And uh, I'm a barbarian. And I'm the machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us each season to watch movies from a specific year in order to prevent it from starting the apocalypse. We're in the year 1982. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to. Although we too tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today, uh, today, Dave, uh, we're, we're getting excited. We're getting into some pretty <laughs> high ticket movies from the year 1982. I'm we are talking about Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> from the gods of the sky. But Krum is your god. Krum, and he lives in the earth. Once giants lived in the earth, Conan. And in the darkness of chaos, they fooled Krum. And they took from him the enigma of steel. Krum was angered, and the earth shook. And fire and wind struck down these giants, and they threw their bodies into the waters. But in their rage, the gods forgot the secret of steel and left it on the battlefield. And we who found it are just men, not gods, not giants, just men. We should have practiced some Arnold accents, right? Get to the chopper! <laughs> Do you know that... Uh, <laughs> They don't actually say chopper in the military. Oh, well, no, I didn't know that. Never been in it. People, people criticize that movie because it's not uh, factually correct. They you gotta get off say, these message boards, Kyle, because normal humans don't criticize shit. Yeah. They would say, get to the heli. <laughs> yeah. Or copter sometimes. You might say copter, but chopper, you would never say get to the chopper. You spend too much time reading nerds writing about movies. We're not talking about Predator. Who complains about chopper? All right, all right. I also like that in a movie where an alien race can be invisible, it's like, I don't think they would say chopper. (laughs) That's what you get hung up on. uh, You know, I got a bone to pick. He used the wrong word. Yeah. Anyways, a big thank you, of course, to our patrons over on Patreon. Their contributions do help us continue this show, since the machine doesn't help us pay for these movies. Plus, each month we do do a bonus episode over there. This month we are talking about Pink Narcissus. Which I don't think Dave has yet watched, but I have. And oh boy, we're gonna have some some I stuff totally to talk forgot. about. I have to watch that porno. Shit. It is a, it's basically porn, um, but he's good looking. He's a good looking guy. So Dave, I think it's singular. Into- what type of porn is this? It's like he's good looking. It's gonna be forty five minutes yep. of a man jerking yep. off. It's gonna be great. Yep, perfect. Sure is. Um, <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, I guess. Happy Pride. But before we get into talking about this week's film, we should progress the plot, I guess, a little bit in our deep and rich fiction here on the show. You know what we haven't done for a while, Dave? We haven't just like sat down and just chatted with the machine. It's here. It does contribute each and every week. Definitely definitely not in the post-production phase. Definitely live to tape. Oh, yeah. As we to record tape. these. That tells you everything. So, yeah. <laughs> what what uh, what questions do you have for the machine here? Oh Dave, wow! This week? You just threw that on me. I uh, was thinking just now because this wasn't just sprung upon me, and I've had some time to contemplate it. Much like one of my favorite books, 
where a character asks the machine this question, I want to know what the machine thinks is the answer to life. Hmm. Yeah. Well, machine, what is the answer to life? I'll let post decide. Nine squared subtracted by 39. I think that's an easy, that's an easy joke. He's probably done some probably like factorial binomial factorial equation to binomial. get to get to the number 42. Actually, I want, I want you to figure out what a factorial binomial is <laughs> and put that into the way he answers. <laughs> that's how I advertise myself on, on, uh, on Grindr, actually. I'm a factorial binomial. <laughs> Your bio. Cal Marshall, <laughs> I'm a factorial bio, binomial binomial. Mm-hmm. Wow. I just, I want to know how, what level of bloodlust you're currently at, machine. Carl encourages me to spill the blood of my enemies on an hourly basis. Ooh, we are not in good shape here, Dave. It is, it is wanting to kill. It's beasts for blood. No, it's high. Okay. Sorry, my, my headphones were on low, but it was high. All right. Well, that's good. Um, that's setting the stage, I'm sure, for something. And uh, that, uh, that chandelier is looking pretty rickety up there in the rafters. Got oh, to wait. Keep an- are we doing the phantom thing that. still? Okay, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you saw this news story, Dave. I know we don't often do news stories, but occasionally we do. Did you ever watch the film starring Joaquin Phoenix called Joker? Yes. Mm-hmm. What were your thoughts? What were your feelings on that film? Oh, wow. Okay, we're talking about a Joker. I know, um, it's, it's, but I'm, I'm leading uh, up to something. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Um, I liked it. You know, it's over-stylized and weird, but I think Joaquin is... A freak and some of the yeah. things he does distorting his himself is fascinating right. to watch but it, you know it's sick you need a his batman. performance is good yeah you need a batman to counterbalance uh, i was i was kind of medium on the movie to be perfectly honest uh we'll get to see the movie it's basically ripping off here this year king of comedy right i was gonna that's say basically what it is yeah. <laughs> uh, just from an alternate point of view anyways joker 2 was announced here this week and did you hear anything about it no why would you why would there be a sequel to that film why would there be a sequel to anything <laughs> dave i actually asked the same questions like it kind of told a singular story yeah, i don't think, I think we so. need to continue yeah. but my interest is peaked because what it's decided to do this is what is it todd phillips i think is the director of the first one is he doing the, the second one? one okay doing the second one okay so I don't know, you probably have not wa- uh, read any of the dialogue that happened around Joker when it came out, when it, 2017, oh, 2018, like, no, whatever no, year no. it came out. Yeah, I didn't know anything about There was a big, big division. There was a lot of, I'll call them film bros, who were like, this is the best movie that's ever been made. This Ooh, is so good. Wow. You know, it made a billion dollars. Like a lot of people went and oh, saw it. Oh, it went movie. over that thing. Okay. That threshold doesn't make a lot of sense anymore, does it? I feel like a lot well, of movies are... Yes and no. It depends... The, re- the real question is like how much domestic versus how much mm. international. That's the interesting conversation when those movies get over a billion because you have stuff like Avatar, which does like it does well in North America, but it's like the vast majority of its two million dollars was billion. like Europe, Asia, <laughs> South America. Like that's where all that money was coming from. Right, right. Versus let's say Top Gun currently, where most of its money is coming from North America, and it's like we don't understand why it's making so much money. We never thought it was going to make this much money. Getting back to my point here, you keep derailing my point here, Dave. <laughs> the conversation around it was like, film bros love this movie, whereas other people were like, uh, this actually movie is bad. Te- this tepid. is a bad oh, movie. Okay, okay. Because 
of what it's trying to communicate. The, the characters aren't fleshed out. The way that it treats like women and, and minorities in that movie is seems kind of gross and like mm-hmm. exploitative. So the the common consensus was half and half. Half film bros love that movie, think it's the best thing ever. Half being like, this is actually overdone. It's not a good movie. In fact, it's bad. Joker 2 is announced this week. And I have never seen such a flip of opinions between those two groups because Lady Gaga has said, I want to be in this movie. Okay. And particularly because the movie is going to be a musical, Dave. Oh, good. Joker 2 is going to be a musical. She wants to write the music for it. There's an idea that she might be being like Harley Quinn or something like that in the movie. And basically, it's going to take over like New York, New York, the other Scorsese film okay. from like the late 70s, early 80s. The people who hated this movie are like, cannot wait for this movie. The film bros who loved the first one was like, you've ruined it. This is going to be a terrible movie. No one likes musicals. It is so fascinating no one likes to watch. musicals. Jesus Christ. You know, it's just like, because everything has to be a polar opposite, right? You yeah. can't just have like a normal. Cool, was, when you're describing the opinion. two factions, I was thinking, you know. Yeah. Because I didn't hear about the factions, I feel good about myself for being in the middle. You know, I mm-hmm. think a lot of people might assume that I'm a very polarized person, but I like to stay in the middle. It's fun, right? I like to hate on yeah. every part of a movie, but uh, a musical. I'm kind of down, honestly. I want to comprehend. Because for me, I mean, the, the worst thing this could be then is just a boring movie. But because honestly, <laughs> when that is said to me, it's a sequel to that Joker movie. It's a musical with Lady Gaga and Joaquin Phoenix. This can only be one of two things, mm. great or incredibly awful, and mm. it can't be anything else. <laughs> and I, Who's I'm, I'm polarizing regardless. now? Who's polarizing now? All right. A musical Joker. Your, what's her fans called? Gaga Face? No, Gaga? they're called the Monsters, the Little Monsters. Jesus Christ. Right. I've, I've blasphemed twice in like two seconds. But I'm an apologist for her. I even liked House of Gucci, which no one else did. So I haven't watched <laughs> it. Helen really wants to watch it, but... Uh, it's, wait, is House of Gucci the one where the woman murders the guy? Yeah. Well, that that's interview like the... of that woman that I saw, like the actual woman, mm-hmm. and she just doesn't, she's like, yeah, I did it. I, he, he fucking deserved it. And you're like, well, that's amazing. <laughs> that part of the story is like maybe the final two minutes of that two and sure. a half hour long movie. It's like everything else up to that point. You do have to go along with the ride that everyone's accent changes scene to scene. Mm. But, but beyond that, it's like, whatever. <laughs> this is, this is great it's so schlocky and dumb but i love it just because you said accent i i used to beg on colin farrell because as good looking as he is i never liked him in american films and then i saw in Mm. bruges where he could speak in his native dialect and he's fucking incredible in that and i just realized i didn't know this that he was the penguin in the batman i mean it's hammy but he's great in it i I actually liked him in that i had no idea that's colin farrell but this is my thing with so many actors, Colin Farrell is a great example of that. I'm trying to think of someone now. Um, I'm thinking maybe I'll be proven wrong. Timothy Chalamet, I think, is going to fit into this thing too, where they're trying to force them to be like leading men, but they're mm-hmm. way better being supporting, supporting. characters yeah. or just weird. So it's yeah. like, just be weird and offbeat. That's what you excel at. You don't need to be the main character of the movie. Well, Timothy Chalamet is becoming sort of a quote-unquote leading man just because people are trying to make eccentric films as a counterculture because he's not going to be in a Marvel film. Well, actually, he's in he Dune. He might be. But Dune is like counter-Marvel, really. It turns in on itself because it is it is a Marvel movie in the end because it's 
the next stage will be a lot more worms. <laughs> okay, okay, fanboy. Uh, but this is my thing with Jake Gyllenhaal. Like, he is mm. a leading man, but there was a time where he was like in Prince of Persia and like other yeah, movies awful. where it's like, I'm yeah. the like the action hero. I was like, no, 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 he's a weirdo. Just let him be a weirdo in these Fuck, weird films. Weird. <laughs> like, that's what he's good at. Anyways, yeah. we were talking about Conan the Barbarian here this week. This is our first Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. We were uh, spared by the machine not to watch End of Days in 1999. That's a pretty good movie. About- he fights the devil. He he wrestles <laughs> the devil. It's great. And Gabriel Byrne makes a good devil. And the fact that I know these things tells you Jeez that Louise. I grew up in that okay. era. Yeah. What is your history with Arnold Schwarzenegger? I love Arnold in the most childish way possible because he was the biggest action star of mm-hmm. my youth. T2 was the first film I snuck into to watch uh, with a friend in the theater. And that changed my life because what a fucking movie to sneak into. That was... uh, Have you even seen the first Terminator film? No. So we just knew that this was supposed to be this thing. You watch a commercial and you're like, this is going to be the greatest. And and it it is one of the greatest movies ever made uh, in a nostalgic sense. It was 14A. It was just before A. So I think I was 12 or 13 at the local mall. And we just like slided mm-hmm. in the, the the seat i don't know uh everything i've watched so many predator um like I, I watched my brother and i had this competition Commando. at one point to watch every single arnold movie and we got mm-hmm. through till he retired was that 2003 when right, he stopped he came movies? back for his run so that's why I like yeah i i like all of them i watched hercules goes banana it's fucking terrible uh i don't mm-hmm. and he's got like three lines in it <laughs> well hercules in new york he's is more of a main character is my mm. understanding, although I've never seen it. But yeah, he's I've in like a Robert it. Altman film where he doesn't speak at all. He's yeah. in another film where he's like, shows up and says one thing and yeah, leaves. I couldn't speak but, English yet. He's not a good actor, but... He's every robot's favorite actor. Well, yes and no. I, I think that this, that Arnold Schwarzenegger is like the epitome of certain directors just understood how to mm. use his talents. Because yeah, yeah, like he's, I think that, really enough, I just wa- rewatched uh, all the Jurassic Park films. And in the second one, there's this really, I think, hilarious throwaway sight gag that's never commented on. But there's a moment when the, uh, the, in the Lost World Jurassic Park, spoiler alert, the T-Rex comes into San Diego and is running <laughs> through the streets and people are running away. Became a kaiju film. Okay. I actually think that they play the Godzilla theme very subtly in the background, but I couldn't Probably. tell. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's the Godzilla theme that Sounds they play like for like two have. bars. Yeah, yeah. And they also have the Japanese tourists running around saying Godzilla away from the Tyrannosaurus. So yeah. I think it is. Someone ducks into a blockbuster, which tells you the age of the movie. And there's a stand that is like <sighs> William Shakespeare's King Lear with Arnold Schwarzenegger oh, nice. on the front of it. I'm like, that's, that's funny. funny. That's, That's funny, funny that they thought that, but you, you're right. You would never cast Arnold Schwarzenegger to do Hamlet or to do a Shakespeare uh, Unless play. he had to a really lead. big gun. Yeah. I think that's also part of the problem that he had in certain films. Um, I know that there's a love affair for like uh, Jingle Twins. All the Way and, and that sort of thing. Kindergarten and Cop. Kindergarten yeah. Cop and stuff like that. But like, there seemed to be this thing occasionally where it's like, well, he's the everyman. He's just a guy in suburbia. Like the guy is a, built like a tree. I do yeah. not by him as people just like oh hi mr mr no. uh, evans or yeah, whatever yeah, your last yeah. name is it's like no no <laughs> like he's a freak of nature treat yeah. him as a freak of nature <laughs> so i think that's why he works in in the terminator Hyper films i think that's films. why yeah. spoiler alert, i think he works in the conan films yeah and these other science fiction properties where it's like yeah he's a, a larger, larger life than personality life. yeah 
he has a he does have a charisma even though his acting is fairly limited as far as what he's able to emote yeah my film weirdly enough because i definitely saw the terminator films when i was a teenager my first film was a film that my brother rented and we watched like a few times before we return it which was total recall oh, which is a great film i love movie. total recall pulling a uh, orb out of your nostril fucking genius man and the the lady mask i love that stuff mm-hmm. triple that, boob uh, i love all of it i think it holds up honestly verhoven yeah, is is divisive i know amongst so many people but man i i think that movie i wouldn't say ahead of his time but it's just dealing with things that you don't normally deal with anymore it's trying to say something and yeah people get drawn into the idea of like well is it all a dream is it all in his head like, i don't care the actual thing it's talking about is actually I think fascinating too uh above that so speaking of colin farrell i think that reboot would have been better without him because that reboot wasn't actually that bad the way it was staged it's and fine. set up yeah yeah but he just yeah. comes off a little flat but uh yeah i'm glad i brought up colin farrell earlier because we just talked about total recall synergy <laughs> but then yeah he goes becomes governor of california of course yeah and then comes back and um, I think I've seen yeah. one of his movies since his like return back um, into Hollywood, which was him being the sheriff at a southern border town, which was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. this is not great. But well, the one with the, I watched that, the Black Ops one where he's like the leader of some black. I watched all the Expendables. No, uh, the first three Expendable films. You know, there's there's another one coming out. Yeah, there's yeah. four Expendables films, which yeah. baffles me. But actually, no, he was only in the second one. But he's kind of passed. I didn't. I didn't go back to Terminator. You know, just the idea of like having a sixty-five-year-old Terminator when a machine shouldn't age. It just it wasn't palatable to me. <laughs> I mean, Cameron is on as a producer, and he always tries to say nice things. After T two, none of those sequels are worth watching. No. There's there's defenders of a couple of them. Like they're, they're not good. Yeah, they're just not good. No. Anyways, oh, I don't which, like any other. We're gonna talk movies. about sequels a little bit, I guess, but. Yeah, and we'll also get up to this because the other project that uh, Schwarzenegger has wanted to do for years, almost decades, is Old Man Conan. Like, he wants to come back to the series and portray him as like an old man sort of thing. I would watch that, honestly. I mean, if it were written well, but the idea at the end of this film, spoiler, we've already seen it. Well, you have already seen it before. Yeah, yeah. having him sitting on the throne, you know, Mm -hmm. in retrospect is great. But the problem with that idea is what do you do with inevitably the flashbacks of his yeah, exploits true. it'll be a joke they'll deep fake it and it'll be awful right yeah i mean those deep fakes are getting better but they're still not there yet yeah like, it just doesn't quite feel like a real human being that's walking around uncanny valley yeah. yeah um you've seen this movie this is the shocking thing i'm gonna drop on you this is the first time i've watched conan i never saw it when i was a kid i somehow escaped the 80s never watching a conan film i you know what i I'm not entirely surprised. I think even when I was loving Arnold, Conan is not an easy movie to find, mm-hmm. even though it has some zeitgeist because, you know, it's Conan. Everybody knows that there's this yeah. giant dude who hacks people to pieces. I'm always um, nervous about this. I went down such a deep research hole this week about the history of Conan, this, like every week, of this yeah. movie. Like there is, there is a bonkers amount of stuff that's out there. But I think the iconography is there. I think when people hear Conan, I think most people when they hear Conan, except for like the deepest fanboys, they probably think of Arnold Schwarzenegger first. That's right. 
That's probably how they think of it, even if they've seen the film or not. Or if you're a Marvel nerd, or uh, I can't remember if it's Marvel. There's a comic book that was mm-hmm. reasonably yeah, we'll talk about well that. known. But I wonder if Conan or Terminator would win in a fight. Yeah, so th- I, I own this on DVD at some point, largely because it isn't something that would be played on TV as entirely too R, right? Especially for 90s. It is an R-rated film, yes. Yeah. Even when it came out in 82, it was rated R. Yeah, this is not a family-friendly film. I mean, you could argue... The second one is not, though. It only came out two years later, and it is not rated R. Well, there, yeah, there's a write-up about that, because one of the main... Yeah, one of the main criticisms for this was that it was entirely too violent. And mm-hmm. uh, we'll talk about pornographic a little bit, but too many penises, Cal. There's not even enough penises. Director John Milius, do you have any history with this gentleman at all? I don't think so. I just peeked it earlier. Oh, right, right. Uh, I didn't know. You know what's funny? I was watching this movie. Again, we're breaking a little mm-hmm. bit of the thing. And I, I was getting, I was like, there's something about this tone that reminds me, <laughs> reminds me of Dirty Harry. And mm-hmm. it turns out this guy uh, was involved with the- He wrote the sequel, the, yeah. And uh, apparently wrote Apocalypse Now. I've, I don't know much about him. I, oh, he directed Window Light. Is that the Sean Connery movie? Yes. Um, we we brought him up, I think, slightly in our Dirty Harry episode because I think he had an uncredited rewrite on the first Dirty Harry movie, or he at least added some stuff, then yeah. got full credit on the second one. When And then the only other big one, uh, uh, he helped write Apocalypse Now, and then he directed Red Dawn. Yeah. The original Patrick Swayze, not uh, Thor. Well, why did they make it North Koreans again? Um, they did that because they wanted to sell it to China. Right, right, that's right. What every, that's what every Hollywood film has to do. They have to like bend to what China wants them to do. So it's they like can't make China the bad as a person. Chinese invasion, which would have made so much more sense because uh, what the fuck is North Korea going to do? I mean, yeah, <laughs> they pretend to have nuclear weapons. They're starving. They're literally starving. They can starving. barely get into Japan. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, the threat is shooting a missile across a river, essentially. <laughs> and they have a movie where they invade the United States. Come on, people. Right. Come on, lazy. All right. Well, I'm excited to get into this with you because I actually have a lot of stuff I think I'm going to say about this. So that's what what we'll do. We'll go and thank some sponsors. And then when we return, we'll be talking a little bit more about Conan the Barbarian. The fuzzy underwear, I'm saying, Dave, should make a comeback. Look. warm. Yes. Furry. Show your pecs off. Well, and you're wearing, you know, if you've got it in the pants, people will be impressed by the weight in the crotch area. Just... How the fur pushes out a good bulge. You know, you need, you need a little bit of something. These days, everything's too tight, right? Yeah, I, I am pro bulge, so I do, <laughs> I do like the bulge. Well, Colin Davis, the machine, is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported, the Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta based businesses and organizations. This week, I get to talk to you with Pod Power. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to Overdue Finds. Overdue Finds is an Edmonton Public Library podcast. Bryce Crittenden and Carolyn Land host conversations about books, movies, music, pop culture, and other interesting news about Edmonton. It's a great way to learn more about what's happening at EPL and about how you can use your library card to access all of EPL's in-person and online services. To listen and find out more about Overdue Finds, head to epl.ca slash podcast. Does Calgary Public Library have a podcast, Kyle? I don't think so. I did approach them once to pitch them on the idea. I remember. And, uh, so did I. They, and they, they turned uh, me down. Turned me down. <laughs> 
just saying, this is a missed opportunity. Edmonton's doing it. Mm-hmm. Right? I know. And we have, uh, we have a great library system here. I get books out of there all the time. Yeah. We do have a good library system. Also, we should get these people to watch an 80s movie with us and find out an Edmontonian perspective on Conan. Oh, we could watch Conan the Librarian since they're... <laughs> <laughs> we should watch UHF. Honestly, I oh UHF is so good, right? No, now I'm all I'm thinking is Conan the Librarian. <laughs> I want to make like a, a six episode Netflix series out of that idea. Don't you know the Dewey Decimal System? Good bit. Our other sponsor is Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider in Alberta. They offer internet, electricity, natural gas with the low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing. With local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your internet, electricity, and natural gas from. If you choose Park Power, you're choosing a positive local business. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not for profits that are working to make a difference for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. Okay, Dave, we have now sat here, watched it. I don't know how many times you can guess that you've actually seen Conan in your life. This is my first watch for this. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that you and I are taking a stroll beside the river and we decide <laughs> to go and collect some flowers. I'm picking some flowers from okay. beside the river. A person, this young man, walks towards us with a lone copy of Conan the Barbarian on DVD, the bulging pecs of arnold schwarzenegger glistening in the afternoon sunlight and he's like sir sir please please what is this movie about (laughs) how would you describe what conan the barbarian is about Uh, first of all i would probably walk away because that is a frightening scene you've set up clearly we're about to be abducted into a cult this is about uh, like plot wise this is about a warrior who seeks Mm -hmm. vengeance after his parents are brutally murdered by a snake man and uh, he uh, grows abnormally large, finds an abnormally large sword, and uh, basically cuts his way uh, to redemption through human flesh and bone. As is the way. Uh, meets some uh, friends along the way, meets some foes along the way, a yep. ragtag group of people save the kingdom and mm-hmm. continue the prophecy or Not something like that. Not derivative at all of past works. It actually might be one of those things where everything is derived from it is really what it comes down to. Yeah. <laughs> and that's always the, the the hard thing when the first thing gets adapted. It's like, this is just like a ripoff of everything else. Like, no, everything else is a ripoff of this. It's just that this is being adapted later. Mm-hmm. That being said, what were your thoughts on Conan the Barbarian? Well, my immediate thought, which I think is interesting, is... I apparently only remember like five parts of this film, like scenes. Mm. So even as it started, kind of was uh, a little discombobulated. Like I was, I was kind of stuck. I was like, oh, I don't remember this starting in such a, like this big narrative with the winter village mm. and him having this talk with his dad. And, and I was like, oh, I don't really remember this. And then we were chatting before I watched this and I was like, is this the one with Grace Jones? It turns out that's the second one. No, that's a sequel. Yeah. Um, I knew things like James Earl Jones is uh, literally a snake. And uh, I remember uh, the woman, I, I thought it was going to be Red Sonia, but it turns out that's a, a an adaptation of this woman's character into her own film franchise. So she's, is a Valeria in this, but I remember yeah. she's in it. If I remember correctly, 
Valeria or whatever her actually I have it here one second uh, yeah Valeria yeah. she isn't in Red Sonia but she's the evil sorceress in it oh okay so she's not actually Red Sonia she's not actually okay. Red Sonia in that movie after that the actual movie itself I gotta be honest with you Kyle I was kind of disappointed I think that there are aspects of this that quote unquote hold up uh, for its legendary status for what it's supposed to be the sort of hack and slash uh, epic journey, right? Ragtag friends and all these mm-hmm. trope forming things about fantasy. But it it's, it's a bit of a mess. Uh, I could only enjoy it as a boy. And I kind of actually, you asked me before we started what I wanted to bring up. I, I think I wanted to talk about the idea of what fantasy means. Because I think mm-hmm. topically, we think about fantasy as like wizards and mages and dragons. And I think that's true for some part, but a lot of it is this yeah, male fantasy, isn't it? And this idea of what it means to be a man. Yeah, I think I think that that's something that we can maybe unpack here a little bit. There is definitely many aspects to fantasy. The fantasy umbrella holds so many things. What can be absolutely said, we'll get into this in a, in a moment when we do some backstory, but the original Conan tales as written by Robert E. Howard... Those are what were trope defining and were the start of what is called the swords and sorcery subgenre of of fantasy, where it's like guy with a sword going and slashing around, and usually there's a magician or an evil sorcerer that he has to defeat, which is a lot of what fantasy is. But then also there's like Game of Thrones fantasy. There's also like Lord of the Rings fantasy, and this predates even Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. So like it is doing stuff in this that helped define what those people were even commenting on and building on top of and intentionally or unintentionally adding to the lore of that sort of stuff. If we're talking about the earliest stuff, when we say fantasy, is also tying into male fantasy of like, I am the conquering hero, my muscles are bulging, the women are wearing skimpy outfits, and we're going to have sex a lot, and all that stuff is wrapped up into it. My fantasy is for you to stop talking. I have a bone to pick with you, <laughs> because something you did not bring up, I don't know if people can tell how annoyed sometimes I get, because you you will often start off reviews on certain things and be like, I didn't know what was going on, none of this makes sense. To stuff I'm like, well, I think it makes a little bit of sense, but okay, okay you, you go off. <laughs> You do your thing. <laughs> this movie starts off, and for the first 25 minutes, like, I have no idea what's happening. Yeah. Like, I literally have no idea what is going on in this movie. The thing about me is that I allow the movie to go for at least another hour before I'm like, okay, but does it all tie together? And for the most part, it does. Like, I kind of got what was happening, but I was literally lost. I'm like, okay, so yeah, a Nietzsche quote comes up at the very beginning, and then... <laughs> The Mako comes on screen and he's talking about some prophecy and he's talking with his dad and then they're attacked and now he's off pushing his big wheel and then for some reason he's let go. But that's never really explained why they're letting him go in the first place mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. finds a sword and now he's off on this adventure. I'm like, I don't know what is happening. To the movie's credit, what I was not expecting is how almost like art movie this film feels like mm-hmm. in many cases. Did it give you a little bit of Devil's vibe? Like yes, yeah, right? Devil's Vibe. Yeah. But but also, I don't know if this is maybe Amelia's thought of the limitations that Arnold Schwarzenegger gave. There are like 10-minute sequences, multiple 10-minute sequences. There is no dialogue set. Mm. It is just music. It is visuals. It is showing you what is going on. And it kind of just like entrusts in you as an audience member to know what is happening or to kind of lock in of like what the emotion is that's supposed to be there. I will say, I think the music in this film is great. Mm -hmm. Like capital G great. I think the music is phenomenal. And I think Milius is able to actually uh, frame shots beautifully. There's some gorgeous shot compositions that happen in this movie. And then uh, I don't know if it necessarily ever escapes. It's like pulpy 
nature, right? Like at the at the end of the day, it's a big hulking barbarian swinging a sword. It's not like the height of like intellectual no. thought that's going on in here. Yeah. And I think James Earl Jones knows that, so he just chews on this scenery. Oh, yeah. Like he knows he's going full ham. He's fun. Yeah, he's fun. Isn't being it? that. His henchmen are fucking ridiculous, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's elements I liked. There's elements I didn't like, but overall I came out, came away with it. Like I'm, I'm kind of positive on this, but I had a bunch of questions that I'm hoping that maybe we can mm. kind of get to the bottom of, because it had my brain kind of firing off in a few different directions. The first is this, this is an eighties thing. I know for sure. And I understand that this is also an R rated film. So it gets a little bit more leeway. Can you imagine any action film being made today? where there is a this much blood that is actually shown on screen and B having this lead actor have three sex scenes in it. Isn't that HBO? I said movie. <laughs> Can you think of any action film that's being released? Well, okay, hold on a second. Even an R rated one, I don't think would go this hard. Uh, <laughs> like I was kind of like, Oh my gosh, they're going it's for pretty it heavy. Here. Like, it is pretty yeah. heavy. Uh, I don't watch horror movies, so I don't know if that this might've been put together as a horror film. Um, it could cross that line mm -hmm. very quickly because uh, I think when you say action film, I think you're imagining Conan as the superhero book type of protagonist. But I suspect if anyone were to remake this other than Arnold being old Conan, that it would be in that A24 world where you're sure because yeah, I haven't seen The Northmen. It's supposed to be really good. But from the trailer. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's this. <laughs> I, I, uh, to, to an extent, it's a little bit more. Art, artsy yeah. about uh, about it but there's violence yeah there's certainly just supreme blood violence in it. but yeah. they don't i think the biggest thing is there is blood in the north but i don't want to make it sound like there's no blood but often couched in shadow or like artistically wow. shown like it's not like gushes of blood but throwing that, out of people's necks and stuff like that like that isn't i don't think that's shown. a limitation i think that's isn't that just more like um it's like we watched green knight together and it's mm -hmm. so over affected because it's trying so hard in its own way to be artsy <laughs> like it didn't give itself uh in my opinion space to breathe you know, in the narrative, it was kind of like, it was just trying too hard. I don't know how I felt about that movie in the long run. Conan and the 80s violence was this cartoonish thing. You're right. The, sure. I was surprised by how gory, well, uh, gory for 80s practical effects this sure. thing was. Uh, I don't know what, what constitutes an action film anymore. Like, isn't every um, movie now with bullets, everybody's just getting torn to shreds and blood splattering over people's faces? Like, you know what? Here's the thing. I just don't think that there might be a scene with blood, but blood actually does not show up very often. Like mm -hmm. even in most of the Marvel stuff, you'll well, occasionally Marvel have those like the, yeah. they're bloody from the nose or something yeah, like that. Marvel can't. Or in but the Jurassic Park films that I've Jurassic been rewatching. I mean, they're trying to go for a broad audience. Raptors come and jump on there and a little bit of blood will hit the camera and it's like, ooh, how shocking. But it's like the only blood you ever see in that entire movie. It's well, like one scene. We're in the wrong we're in the wrong ballpark. We can't compare Conan to Jurassic Park or well, Marvel. It's the same pulpy origins though. No, like it's still it's not set up because it's, I mean, if you think about, it's 1982 and they're aiming for an R rating. Yeah. You know, we've watched a couple of films where they had to pull back just to find an audience, right? Sure. So, if you have that mentality, you're not making a superhero film. You're making a horror movie, basically, because it's very hard to push an action movie into an R rating right now. Uh, so, kind of to your point, but I think the the misnomer is that this is not an action movie. 
this is essentially an action horror. You know, I think, I mean, the fact that James Earl Jones, he transforms into a snake, that's something we would put in a horror film now, not in an action film. We could joke about a cartoonish thing for kids' films, but in the context of a movie like this, about a man who goes around murdering people until he finds the people who murdered his dad or his mom, really. You know, that's not an action movie. <laughs> It's not. Actually, I don't you know. know. It's- I, I, I think I'm going to be splitting hairs here a little bit. I just know this is also interesting. Like if we think of like fantasy films, I think this is what in many people's head fantasy was. These sword and sandals or sorry, these uh, swords and sorcery films where this type of stuff happens. And I think that's why such there was such a shift when those Lord of the Rings movies started coming out in 2001. And people were like, whoa, what is this? This is not what I was expecting. This isn't as goofy or as cheesy as what these 80s and 90s films used to be that featured like sorcerers and magicians and that and that sort of thing going on i think it's fascinating that uh we are watching this literally the week after we watched rainier fassbender's querelle <laughs> i made the joke last week of course like this feels gay too because there's like these bulging muscles and we're supposed to ogle arnold schwarzenegger a little bit i just want to maybe i'm just like digging my heels in a little bit too much querelle is absolutely squarely in the art house film bracket i think this film fits that bill for like a good 30 percent of its runtime of being like slow visually showing things like uh, beautiful vistas like people not really talking like there's no silence that they allow for it yet this is definitely considered a pulp movie b movie almost and i want to know where where the difference is why why is one absolutely this is art house and this one is like well this is just made for the general audience to come and enjoy yeah, it's hard to define, isn't it? I I suspect with something like Quarrel, it's intentionally put in this framed box. So, for example, the set design is intentionally unrealistic. There isn't a single scene there where you believe you're in an actual saloon or an actual pier, or you know, everything is very um, you know, it's it's theater like. There, there, it's almost like props. Everything is a prop. Um, this film, in its artistic moments. I think was less art house and more trying to borrow from spaghetti westerns or from samurai mm. movies. It's building a sense of widescreen scope and quiet from successful, not action, what do you call it? Like action dramas where they want the environment to let you know that we're not in modern day earth. They want us right. to see stoic heroes who don't need to explain their way because they will explain their way with their fists. They want women who don't need to beg for sex with their mouths, really. <laughs> they do it with their bodies. Like everything becomes very visceral. Um, I have never read the book, so I don't know how Conan is meant to be portrayed. I think that's the sense I got, that this is somebody who watched Kurosawa, The Devils, Sergio Leone, and thought, I need to make this sweeping and larger than life and wide. I think that's a good point. I think that that's where it's, it's drawing its inspiration from. I'm, I'm leading up to this about actually comparing this with stuff like Star Wars in, in a moment. But even George Lucas understood like, hey, we can make this cinematic, even though what we're portraying here is like B-movie uh, stock characters, that sort of thing. Absolutely. Right? It's like the good versus evil. We don't have to overcomplicate this. I think it's the R rating that kind of threw me off. I just didn't, I didn't know it was going to lean so hard into its R rating. Mm-hmm. I mentioned those three sex scenes, which is kind of an anomaly in a way oh, yeah. in the series, because I nice. took it upon myself to watch a few other films this week, Dave, which was all you do. Conan 2, Conan Destroyer. <laughs> and I watched Red Sonia oh. as well. You have a lot of movie time. 
Hell, I if you had so to don't guess, sleep. yeah, don't if you sleep. had to guess how many films you screen in a week, is it like 50, 60 at this point? No, I think I average like eight or something like that. I don't over know. The year. I don't know. I only bring this up because it's that doesn't really happen in no. a sequel. Doesn't really happen in Red Sonia. Like there might be kissing, but there's not like oh, like they are getting down to business. Yeah. We're some sweaty butts. And I think this is what uh, modern filmmaking is missing, Dave, is what I'm trying to argue. I know, I, I don't know if I need this much of it, but it was just shocking in a way to be like, oh, they're allowing the main character mm -hmm. to be a sexual being inside of these movies and not being like, oh, we're just going to fade away. We're going to do a quick kiss. Or I know I keep throwing them under the bus, even though I do like a lot of them, but most Marvel heroes, like I can't even envision you having sex because you're so like non-sexual inside of your movies. Like, I think you're stuck on comparing this to comic book films. And it's well, not I mean, a comic, book, comic book, book history to this too. Yeah, but I, I, I think that that's not a mistake, but I think... And if we're just going to use the Spider-Man example as a Spider-Man fan, uh, him and MJ had sex all the time in those comic books. Yeah, yeah. But that's, that, that's a whole other... And this is the problem. Like how a comic book is meant to be portrayed in film is a matter of not just interpretation from, quote unquote, the director artist, mm -hmm. but a production field, that's a production team that's going to dump $150 million into it and need to pull back at least a billion dollars for them to feel good about themselves sure. when they sleep at night that's not how something like De Laurentiis, De Laurentiis productions were never really that interested in that you know I mean this, no, I, tr I agree with that yeah this is a guy and his family who just wanted to make blockbusters but almost in a fun way like they were throwing money at a lot of stuff uh, mm -hmm. I th it's it's not a fair comparison I, this is not a movie that was meant for a general audience it's not it, it found I, one <sighs> But it's not, yeah. it's not a family film. It's not a narrative True. that connects with uh, anyone other than enraged men, frankly. Mm -hmm. uh, it completely has, you know, no, no pull for gay audiences, women, nothing. This is strictly for like middle-aged men or, you know, young men to go and get a hard on and go outside and punch garbage can after. Like this is... Well. I, I, it, I'll say that I think you're wrong if you don't think that there's a gay audience for this movie. Okay, I, actually, fine. There's, but, but that's but still. But yeah. that's, a, yeah, uh, fine. Uh, but the, even that is, it's in a pornographic sense, right? To ogle, it's not meant to have a, a woke consciousness. This is not trying to relay a message, True. right? This is kind of even sanded down in the direct sequel that only happened two years later. It's, it's interesting to see like sensuality and eroticism being allowed in a major motion Hollywood picture in, in this character, which just doesn't really happen all that much. Like, and I know that there's chemistry that's involved and all this other stuff because to use a comic book example again, the only time that there actually felt like there was fireworks are in like the, those two really bad, amazing Spider-Man films with um, oh, uh, Andrew Carfield. Because yeah. him and Emma Stone, I think, actually have legitimate on-screen chemistry. The films are awful, but I mean, like the, at least they feel like they are she about to- She just has like, chemistry with everybody. <laughs> I think that might be true. Like they are about to rip each other's clothes off. Uh -huh. And I think there's a tension that happens then when you have a leading lady and a leading man that has that. In this, though, what I wanted to make the point of Quirrell definitely has the point of eroticism. Like mm -hmm. it is leaning into the erotic nature of a male body. This movie is absolutely 100% titillation, which is like we are going to show females half naked and they're treated as objects. So there's not 
this um there's a hierarchy almost is like they are meant to be looked at men get to have their way with them and they are meant to be there for like you said for that to succumb to that male fantasy it's just a fascinating thing it's like we watched erotic an erotic film last week and this one's like there's nakedness in this but it's meant for a completely different intention than what last week's film was well i don't know if it has a different intention per se just a different well, it has a audience. different tone to it then sure it's just as a thought experience it's just interesting i mean i think i mean we talked about uh movie codes and i don't know if it's the fbi anymore but american culture needing to clamp down on what they believe to be american values right so yeah it's reagan's america there's definitely uh, a focus in the, this year's films not necessarily to just objectify women but to change the narrative a little bit and be a bit counter feminist at least in its most uh, virulent form to uh, pump up male ego a little bit more quarrel you can't make i don't know it's hard to compare these two they have completely different cultures objectives to kind of put them side by side just cuz arnold is this you know bodybuilding is this ironic thing where these men are so egotistical and obsessed with the male form, but they're meant to be paragons of heterosexuality. I mean, there's so mm-hmm. many weird layers uh, to professional bodybuilding in general. And then you take this uh, model men <laughs> and put him in this film with a giant yeah. sword. Uh, and, you know, we then you get into this Freudian shit about uh, which part represents what part of sex. And you have all mm-hmm. these towers. Everything's a tower with a fucking bulbous head. Well, and, even the sword itself is considered to a, be a like phallic the, thing, right? Male, like a phallic object. You're so plunging I, it into somebody to kill them. And yeah. Yeah. So if we go down that route and try to break down uh, the director or the screenwriter, Oliver Stone, which is fucking weird. I, yeah, we'll talk yeah. about it. Um, you know, all these people and, you know, what does it reflect about them as men or them as this? I mean, we talked about it with what the world according to Garp. Like, is he actually pro-rights or is there uh, sort of a kind of a virulent male-dominated ego in it? And now it's revisionist because he's being interviewed as this, you know, uh, protector of LGBTQ, um, you know, narratives. But I don't know, was it accidental? I, we don't know. We don't know. So 82 is kind of weird. This is not a movie that you can compare to major release. This is not a film that would make a billion dollars right now. Okay, this is my, I guess this is a major point. I'm trying to lay a lot of stuff on here to come to this question. Okay. I can't wait for you to find a point. This movie, of course, is based on these short stories about the Conan character that started in these like pulp magazines that that Howard sent them into and and got an audience back in like the 1920s and 1930s. There's two other franchises that start in the late 70s, early 80s. One is Star Wars. The other is Indiana Jones. So we have Lucas and we have Spielberg. Again, yes, top of their game. But both of those are emulating pulp stuff as well. Uh, Star Wars is essentially like a Western, but set in space. But again, using stock characters and really using Flash Gordon as the major template of of what they're doing inside of that. To create something new. Kurosawa more than that. But okay, yeah. Indiana Jones is legitimately ripping off the uh, the adventure serials from the 1940s and mm-hmm. 50s like mm-hmm. you can literally do sh- a side-by-side shot-by-shot comparisons that spielberg was pulling from with a new character and putting it into like a modern context in the 80s this movie is taking again that an actual character that people had name recognition for in certain quarters of of popular culture bringing into the thing leaning into its pulp nature and yet this never ever became popular only this movie made money none of the sequels did never no reboot ever made money off of this and i'm trying to figure out why what is it about 
other than like great yes we can say spielberg is a master and an auteur and stuff like no, that the, but why the is it only is, this first film that was popular and not any of its sequels star wars and indiana jones and et and all this stuff they're geared for a general public and we can talk about mm. george lucas being george lucas but we saw with thx 1138 whether we like the sure. movie or not his foray into building art film science fiction uh, didn't work and he took that lesson and built something else. I mean, the fact that his next movie was American Graffiti or whatever, I, yeah. he's not trying to stay with it and grind it out. I think one of the errors, really, comparing the three is Conan of the Barbarian was never meant for mass consumption. This is a film, like I said, it's it's basically a horror movie. It's titled in the action genre because okay, I think- okay. But let's, let me ask you a different question. Arnold became an action star, but this is, right? Is it's there like, a way to make Conan then, to adapt it into a way that mass audiences would want to go and see? Well, why would anybody because want to do that? Because this and Tarzan are basically, I think, of a similar thing. Tarzan didn't work until the an animation. Yeah, Tarzan had like 50 films made out of it. Sure. To, to different levels of success. And Conan has barely made four and none of them made money. But Tarzan, Tarzan's different. Right? It, it's not comparable to Conan. Conan's whole shtick, apparently, just on a brief write-up, he, he's supposed to be intelligent, but his shtick is that mm -hmm. he's literally just a mound of walking muscle with a big dick and a big sword, and he fixes the world's problems by cutting people in half. That is not a narrative you can develop into any kind of intellectual... But how about... Uh, okay, I keep throwing other examples. How about James Bond, then? James Bond is basically just a secret spy with a big dick and a big gun. Well... Like, what? <laughs> yeah. But James Bond, because we have the spy, uh, when it's done correctly, and, and you and I both know many James Bond films don't work. Do not work. Correct. Um, but it gives you the opportunity to weave in either a whodunit, uh, some kind of intellectual uh, sleuthing. Uh, we can have ones that are completely absorbed in technological gadgetry and gimmicky shit. And so you can, you can draw in a general audience on those themes. It is very difficult to write about a brute whose only power is the size of his pecs that everybody actually gets and identifies with. This is a movie, I over abuse this idea, but what we now call incels or people who are so resentful of whatever their status in life are, this is a movie for them. This is, this is, is something that would be shared on Donald Trump's social media platform. But okay. No, but I don't know. It's that's who it appeals to in the eighties. It it's appeals to like this is why I think I liked it when I was younger and I was angrier mm. and more lonely. It's like you turn on a movie, there's a guy with a sword and he kills everybody, and you're like, Oh, that was fucking fantastic. And now that I'm like old, I'm watching and I honestly I was like, it's not terrible but i was like i don't know it's so much it's so much mm -hmm. like it's not this you know it's funny like i complain a lot about uh, when sex pops up in films and just doesn't seem to need to be there like the sex actually plays kind of a purpose in this character's life does, you know we yeah. see uh, the mistakes two of them do one of them seems a little bit egregious to me true, but, yeah. but like the dad warns him to only trust the steel and then his first mm -hmm. uh well not first but his second uh sexual exploit with the i guess she's a witch whatever witch, she is yeah but i thought that was interesting because he's tempted and it fails and then he has the love scene with uh valeria which they shoot differently it's more uh, tender mm -hmm. it's pornographic but it's tender it's like you can see that they actually are into each other and there's no negative consequences other than spoiler alert that she's gonna fucking die you know it's it, it has a purpose which is by the way by the way is a very horror movie horror movie thing it's like if you're not married and you have sex you die this is the thing this is Kyle, this is a horror movie. It's not a mm. horror movie of the 82 because that, you know, you in your mind, I think yeah. horror movie in the 80s is slasher. There's not a horror movie 
in a modern sense because it's not artistic enough and it's not intellectually written well enough to be in this sort of indie world. But this is it's a horror book. It's pulpy, true. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. It, this is it's literally about a man who kills people. <laughs> right? <laughs> I feel like this is the thing. I think what I'm getting hung up on is like I have all these other examples of like, well, it's like sort of similar and it's super popular. And I think that the way to do it, if it was to be, once again, tried, I think you have to come at it and subvert it somehow. It can't be just a straight adaptation. I think you're no, right that people are just aren't going to be able to glom onto it the way that other properties can be. Now, there's other properties also have like decades of history of mm. like belovedness in, in many cases where Conan doesn't. But um, anyways, I think there is a way to adapt this. I just don't know what that is. We've talked a lot about like comparing it to other movies. I do want to talk about specifics in a moment, but just to do some backstory here, this opened up on May 14th, 1982. It is rated 3.4 on Letterboxd out of 5, 6.9 on IMDb, nice, 43 <laughs> on Metacritic, and on Rotten Tomatoes, it has 67% from 39, <laughs> you're, nice, you're laughing, 67% nice. from 39 critics and 74% from 100,000 plus users. It's available on DVD and Blu-ray, and you can stream it, at least here in Canada, on Stars. Stars with a Z. Yes, Stars. Its budget was $20 million. Its box office was $68.9 million. That's $208 million if we adjust it for inflation. Its plot description is a young boy, Conan, becomes a slave after his parents are killed and tribe destroyed by a savage warlord and sorcerer, Thalsa Doom. False when he grows Doom. up, he becomes a fearless, invincible fighter. Set free, he plots revenge against Thalsa Doom. Yeah. He, he does die too, but that's, you know, spoiler alert. Yeah, I know, we can, that, that is a spoiler <laughs> alert then in that case. By the way, what a great name. Salsa Doom is just a great name. <laughs> oh, man. It, it is now time to play everyone's favorite game. Guess that. Tag. Tag, tag, tag. This is, of course, the part of the show where I don a handsome blazer, pick up a, a long microphone as used by Bob Barker, and we play... The game. I guess that tag where, you know, when you go to the movie theater, you see those walls of posters and there's often a line, a sentence on those posters helping you entice you to see that film when it gets released later on in a couple of months. So Dave, one of these is a real tagline on the poster for Conan. The other two are completely made up by me. So is it thief, warrior, gladiator, king? Is it the first sword and sorcery tale is finally here? Or is it three, the myth the legend, the barbarian. Mm. What was the second one? It's, it was the worst one, but it might be real. The first sword and sorcery uh. tale is finally here. Huh. I'll go with two because one and three mm -hmm. sound better. <laughs> well, it is number one. Number one is yeah. the actual tagline. Thief, warrior, gladiator, king. No. I kind of wanted more that. of those gladiator fights, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, that, was Mad interesting, Max. Man, that was an interesting thing. Biting, mm -hmm. biting the shoulder. It stars Arnold Schwarzenegger as Conan the Barbarian, James Earl Jones as Thalsa Doom, Sandal Bergman as Valeria, Gary Lopez as Sub Subutai, and Mako as The Wizard. Anything you want to say about any of these actors? Arnold's one of the most famous people in the world. I love Arnold. So like, I knew things already. He made his first million bucks before he became an actor. You know, his dad was mm -hmm. a Nazi. He snuck out when he was in the army to compete in Mr. Austria. <laughs> he went AWOL. I don't know. There's, like, there's, there's this, is, this is important because this is the movie that makes Arnold Schwarzenegger Arnold Schwarzenegger, star, right? Yes. Like he had a bit of a career before this, but this is what breaks him out as being the actor because after this, you get like, yeah, the Conan sequel, but Red then- um, Terminator. Yeah, all of those come like yeah. boom, boom, boom. 
twins. <laughs> well, twins is later on for sure. But it's like late eighties. It's before T two. It's ninety something, yeah. Nineteen ninety, nineteen ninety one or something, I wanna say. It's like the year before T two came out? I thought it was mm-hmm. like 88 or 80. it doesn't matter. I mean, Commando, uh, Predator. Yeah. Yeah. He's about to blow up on the Hollywood scene, but he's first and foremost, uh, well, a bodybuilder, um, but yeah. he's a businessman. And I think what's interesting about him is when he comes to America, he didn't come to America to become famous and he didn't come to America to win bodybuilding competitions. He came here to be rich, successful and live in a, the quote unquote 80s, 70s American dream. Well, what's also actually interesting about this film is like the producers came to him. He did not audition for this. They're no. like, oh, we need a Conan. It has to be this guy. Yeah. He's been whatever, Mr. Mr. World, what, uh, what is Olympia. he called? Olympia. Mr. Olympia. I mean, his body's perfect. Because Pumping Iron would have come out a few years before this, so people knew who he was. If you watch, I mean, if you ever looked at professional bodybuilding, I mean, now it's become uh, a freak show because people use too much supplements and their bodies are grotesque. If you look at Prime Arnold, what's amazing about him is his perfect symmetry. This guy was designed to be on film. There's no part of his body that isn't a mirror image of the other part. So never mind how strong and how big he is. I mean, the guy is like literally modeled out of uh, stone. And uh, he's he's just a fascinating guy that there's a brain underneath that. And we make yeah. fun of his accent and his acting. But that's one of the things I think, it's not the directors that keyed into what made him strong uh, as a film star. I think he did. And I think he knew exactly yeah. uh, what he needed to do to become a famous actor. I will say this too. Like, of course, he's macho and and that sort of thing within this film. But what I was also struck by in many scenes is I don't think we give enough credit to actually how good of comedic timing he has yeah. sometimes. Like, he's actually really good at it. Maybe he's not good at telling jokes, but physically, he can do a punchline. Like, yeah. He understands how to do it. Well, I mean, he, he some of his most successful film or three anyways were comedies. He he understands himself. Even in Total Recall, like that is a horror action film, but he knows how to ham it up too. He, he you don't yeah. have to make the bulging eyes like ah oh, oh, face all the time, but he, mm. he leans into it so much, particularly going to the For nice sure. like if you watch Terminator, he doesn't make a dumb face in the entire film because he's a robot, right? Well that's what I was gonna say. Here here is from Conan until T two. So Conan is eighty two The sequel is 84, Terminator is 84, Commando is 85, Predator is 87, Running Man is 87, Twins is 88, Total Recall is 1990, Kindergarten Cop is 1990, and then Terminator 2 comes in 91. That's a pretty good run. There's other movies in there, but that's a pretty good run. Uh, You know, he's... He's big. And then it it continues from there because until, yeah, end of day is probably the end of his sort of big, Mm -hmm. big run. But uh, we get True Lies. We get, there's a couple others that are in there that were just fucking mega hits. Like True Lies is a great example. That is the perfect straddling of comedy, action, machoism like yeah and they make and john cameron or sorry james cameron just knew how to use the guy yeah he understood innately how to use him he was good at making fun of himself too like you know like you brought up how can anyone believe he's just a dad but he like he walks around and people like there's no way this guy's a dad you know it (laughs) it it makes fun of itself it's great and Mm -hmm. i think you know it made tom arnold relevant that's how good that movie was that's how good that that movie was Uh, james Earl jones of course best known for the sandlot i I uh, opened the wiki and it said in EGOT, and I, I don't mean this as slight. I'm amazed the man's still alive, but uh, the yeah, Oscar well, was a lifetime. So, I mean, is yeah. it really? If you but... have seen the last, the, the second Coming to America movie, 
he doesn't look too great. I don't think he's going to be long for this world. No. I, mean, I know that it seems macabre, but I mean, like... Oh, James James Earl Jones is just the voice. I mean, he's a great actor and, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's got so much uh, clout. So, I don't mean that in a negative sense, but man, his voice, his voice yeah, is... Great. Yeah, his voice is the voice. He's great. Do you, do you know much about Mako? Personally, no. I, I know he was in Samurai Jack and mm-hmm. uh, his voice is instant, the just like James Earl Jones. Well. He's got a Uncle Euro. Yeah, he's got a instantly recognizable voice mm-hmm. with that. I know him from his uh, some of his Broadway stuff that he was doing. Oh, is uh, he stage actor too? Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know much about him to be honest. He's with great. Him. Yeah, I didn't know he was in this movie either. I was like, oh, oh. that's Mako. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's he's fun. But even his character, I mean, just talking about influences, that is such a kind of Kurosawa esque action side character, this sort of clown mm. that you throw in there. I mean, C-3PO, R2-D2, like this idea of putting in a laughing But when you talk feature. about like this type of film, it's like what I love, like the collection of people that they meet along the way and they all come together all and the then same. they yeah. the evil. Cinematography is by Duke Callahan. His top four from IMDb are this movie, Jeremiah Johnson from 1972, mm. some Great episodes name. of Miami Vice from 84 to 85, and then The Yakuza from 1974. This is written, sort of. By Oliver Stone and John Milius, based on characters created by Robert E. Howard, directed by John Milius. First and foremost, I do want to give a huge thank you to the YouTube channel Midnight's Edge, who made this great 45-minute retrospective that I watched on this, because it filled in a lot of gaps of like, okay, how does this all work together? You certainly have a lot of time on your hands, and yet you're still single. We're going to start with Robert E. Howard. So he was born in 1906 in Texas. Lived for many years in this little town of Cross Plains. His dad was a doctor and his mother was inconsolable. She uh, always felt that she had married below her station and apparently took that out on both her husband and son. She was apparently not a very nice person to them. Howard, from the time he could talk, wanted to write stories. And by the time he was a teenager, he was already dabbling in short stories. Mostly interested in horror and fantasy at the beginning being influenced by uh, Edgar Allan Poe and H.P. Lovecraft. Specifically, though, he was fascinated with swordplay, having epic sword battles mixed in with wizards, sorceresses, and magic, and this would lead him to writing these stories featuring Kull, a barbarian, and then eventually he would start writing stories about Conan, the barbarian. So he submits a few of these stories uh, to... Call the Conqueror. Call the Conqueror. Oh, sorry, Call the Conqueror. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But he was a barbarian, but called Call the Conqueror. Who's yeah. the nerd now? He submitted a few of these stories to the magazine Weird Stories, and that would hit huge with that readership. So this was before J.R.L. Tolkien would even publish The Hobbit. Robert E. Howard had this world map, timelines, and an entire mythology that he developed. So Cull, for instance, was many years before Conan, uh, but was in the same continuity. Conan himself was said to be part of the Hyborian Age, a time just after the sinking of Atlantis. This is all to say that he was playing around with shared universes decades before Marvel and DC would do the same thing. He was making fake histories before J.R.L. Tolkien, and he was dabbling in map creation and world building before that became kind of the cliched thing to do in fantasy fiction. He is known as the creator of the sword and sorcery subgenre, and he did this all when he was in his 20s. It should also be stated, though, that he did do more than the Conan stories. He wrote poetry, horror tales, westerns, but, you know, we only have so much time. Here's the really sad part about his story. I don't know if you've read this yet, Dave, but when he was 30, he became the primary caregiver to his mother, whose health was failing. His writing had become consistently interrupted, so his output had slowed down. And when his mother slipped into a coma and the nurse confirmed that she would not wake up, he walked outside, got into his car, and shot himself in the head. So he never actually saw 
what happened ultimately with his creations that he was writing or had written about. He was only 36. He died in 36, but he was only 30 years old. 30, right. So uh, not emotionally stable. No, let's say that. No, (laughs) but he was able to unleash that. With a big hulking barbarian. We can, this we all can... speaks to my point earlier, Kyle. This is not an action franchise. It's not a fantasy franchise. Mm. This is a horror genre. All right. Maybe it that's really what people is. need to do. Maybe people just need to lean more into the horror elements of it. And that would make it work. That, that would be how you do this. Mm-hmm. You get Jordan Peele to Maybe. shoot this yeah, yeah. as a horror film. This is where it gets complicated because of copyright reasons. This was at a time when the author died the the copyright immediately went into anyone could take it oh, it became back in 1936 okay. it immediately went into the public domain when it when the author died so during his lifetime he published 17 conan short stories and there was three unpublished short stories one unpublished novel four unfinished short stories which were just basically fragments and ideas of stuff he wanted to write about there's also an essay he had written though about the world of conan and how all the characters would fit together so because of again that thing about how copyright worked in 1936 in 1950 is when Conan kind of broke out into the pulp novel market. Up until this point, it was just into those magazines that those stories were being published. So the Weird Tales fans were still like uh, fans of, of these stories. But this man, and this is his real name, L. Sprague de Comp, who Perfect. was working for this small publisher called Gnome Press, took the already published stories and the unpublished stories and began to release them in book form. Here's the thing that he did, though. He rewrote them. So he took them, added things, changed things. Can you guess why he did that, Dave? Why he would rewrite them? No. To make more money? So now he has the copyright on them. I was going to say, to make more money. Because now it's a new story, technically. Even though it's inspired by, you know, Howard, we are a new copyright. It's very Disney (laughs) of him to do this. And we'll say this does introduce the character to a whole new generation of readers. And after they publish all of the existing material, he gets this writer Bjorn Nyberg to write the first Conan story not conceived by Howard to continue the series on. And so those stories continue to go forward. Book two in this series is called Conan the Barbarian, the first time that that actual name is used. In the 60s is where the iconography begins to take over. Known press had gone out of business. Decomp takes his copyright to Ace Publishing. They begin once again to reissue everything into paperbacks, as well as beginning a new set of Conan stories, which actually goes up until today. Like There's a bunch of authors who've continued the Conan stories even up to modern day. What happens with these volumes, though, is that the novel artwork... The cover artwork is done by this guy named Frank Frazetta, which is considered by most fans to be like the definitive version of what Conan should look like. I would definitely encourage people to go and look him up. They're actually really cool covers, but like that is what most people think of Conan if they're in illustrated form. They now again, these stories bear Howard's name, but those were not the original short stories that he had actually published in Weird Tales. They've been edited, modified, changed. Now we get up into the 80s eventually here where uh, Howard's short stories actually do begin to get published unedited, like the actual original versions. But if we're talking about this movie, those did not exist yet. They only have these edited versions. What really pushed Conan, the character, into even more of the zeitgeist is when Marvel Comics started to publish Conan stories. Stanley had been, been receiving these letters from fans who wanted a series that dealt with swords and sorcery. You know, like Conan. That's, like, that's what people were wanting. Lee didn't like the stuff he hated it but he understood that that's what the people wanted so what i find the most fascinating about this is that he didn't just turn around and be like let's create our own character that does this but they don't they actually 
adapt Conan. They actually have to go to the comp to get the rights to make the comic book versions of the character. And he says yes, and they start publishing these. Um, did you ever have any of these comic books at all? Like, did you ever read any of these comics? I don't think so. No. They are extremely popular amongst comics fans. Mm. Like, they are considered actually some of the best stuff that's ever uh, been written in that format. It starts in 1970. Conan the Barbarian, the second time that that title has been used, begins to be published by Marvel Comics. It's a huge hit. and is often how people think of the character um, if you were born in, like, the 70s, early 80s. Like, that's kind of the character you think of. It should be noted that because of the comics code at the time, you could not show blood and you could not show nudity like the books could. But everything else, the spirit of the stories, the character design, it's exactly what Howard had created. They're just being adapted into a new medium. This is written by Rory Thomas with art originally by Barry Windsor Smith and then eventually John Buscema and Ernie Chan. And it would go until the mid-90s when Marvel gave up their claim to Conan because they were about to go bankrupt. So they were basically just selling off as many assets as they possibly could. Dark Horse would take over the character for a while. But Marvel had some money in the late 2000s. I don't know why. Because <laughs> uh, they own the world now. And in starting in 2018... Conan is back under the Marvel Comics banner and is now part of the Avengers in the comic books. Oh, weird. So, That's stupid. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Perfect. Yeah, he's been brought into modern day. Anyways, doesn't matter. Multiverse, baby. Multiverse. Technically, in the comics, yeah, the Earth that Deuce Conan is a part of yeah. eventually becomes the Earth yeah. that of all the superheroes. Well, that's, the, that's the best part of multiverse. You just say, oh, it doesn't make sense. You're like, we'll do whatever we want. Multiverse. Yeah. Multiverse. <laughs> there is a multiverse where you have popular podcast. So the development of the movie starts in the mid-70s. Producers Edward Pressman and Edward Summer really wanted Conan to be a movie. They approached Schwarzenegger to be in it, which he immediately agrees. His kind of movie career stalled out at that point, but they needed to find a director and screenwriter. And without getting into the weeds too much with this, because it bounces around to a bunch of different studios and people, and etc. But first script written by Oliver Stone, who was commissioned because he was an established name and they wanted someone who knew what they were doing, basically. With some clout. He goes out and buys all the paperbacks that are available, reads them all, falls in love with this character, and to himself, he's like, oh, I envision this as a 12-movie series. Something that's going to come wow. out every two to three 12. years. 12 movies. Great. He conceives of them all. This is going to be the first of, of the series. Uh, I'm going to adapt. That's why he's never made a short film in his life. Okay. <laughs> True enough. Yeah. And every single year, would come out roughly two to three years from the last one. It should be noted, he was the only person who thought this. None of the producers wanted this. No, no one else involved with this thought. But he was like, oh, yeah, this is a 12-picture film series. He turns in his first draft, and he's thanked for his time. But the producers basically say, thanks, but no thanks. They do take that screenplay, though. There's a breakdown from that uh, YouTube creator that goes into like what it would have been. But essentially, it is like ideas from Howard's original stories mixed in with a bit of like Seven Samurai-ishness. Uh, but again, that film is never made. You see it in this movie. Yep. John Milius instead went through it and combined characters together, simplified ideas, changed the original setup of the movie, which does anger fans because you see him like learning how to read and all this other stuff being formed by society when the entire point of the character is he's formed from outside of society. Whatever. Milius uh, was known for this tough guy movies like he'd helped to write Dirty Harry, as we said, and he's persuaded to come aboard the project. Another side tangent. So one of the things that the producers wanted to do with this movie was to copy what had happened with Star Wars, uh, specifically how they handled toys. If you remember, back in 1977, George Lucas had made this savvy decision to defer payment from directing the movie if he got 100% of the proceeds from selling the toys. And Fox was like, who's going to buy toys? And he made like a billion dollars selling toys. 
Producers, I think, hilariously thought that this was going to happen with Conan, which is so wild to me when you actually watch this movie. Like, no kid is coming to see this movie. Like, people are not bringing their kids to see this movie. Regardless, they approach Mattel, who does some mock-ups, but eventually the, the, the deal falls through. However, because the toys are being modeled after, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger... You can actually see these mock-ups online, and his main adversary is a guy named Thulsa Doom, who is a sorcerer who is a skull for a face. Does this sound familiar to you at all, Dave? Yeah, yeah, I got it. It's He-Man. It's He-Man. They literally just make He-Man out of Conan. I don't know why I've never put that two and two together, but when you see right. like the mock-ups and then the eventual He-Man toy side by side, I'm like, oh, they yeah. They just turned him blonde. Yeah. yeah, they just turned him blonde. That's all they did. Change the face a little bit, because he does look like Arnold's face in the mock-ups, but like... That's what you... Uh... That's what you have to do to succeed in America, Kyle, is uh, go full Aryan and people will buy that shit. <laughs> I guess so. I was a huge He-Man fan back yeah, in the day. Yeah, I fun. tried to watch it as an adult and it is unwatchable. It is unwatchable, those original cartoons. You know, I want to give a, another chance to, even though it's awful, is uh, Dolph Lundgren's He-Man. Mm. It's not right? good. It's not good. <laughs> I, I did watch that. Like a couple, I think I watched it during lockdown. I was like, this is not good. <laughs> It wasn't good when I watched it, but I just want to see it again. All right. One of the movies, there's there's actually a list you can find of movies that claim there's going to be a sequel and then there's never a sequel to it. And mm. that's one of those movies like, he will return. It's like, nope, he's not going to. So they want to make this movie, right? But the thing is that making the movie is complicated because no one knows really who has the copyrights anymore. Uh, it's been enough time that's elapsed. It's like, is it the comp that has that? Is it Marvel that has it? Is it the original publisher who has it? So everyone involved tries to figure this out. They get lawyers and they get super confused. So eventually what they just do is make a new company called Conan Properties Incorporated, who everyone becomes a member of that company and they make it from that. <laughs> that's well, who owns sure the copyright. The spoils. Right. Just split all of it, um, which seems so gentlemanly as opposed to how it usually works, which is just gets just bogged down in fights and stuff like that. Oh, modern. Yeah, yeah. that was a joke. Uh, funny, it's shot, edited, released, and gets generally positive reviews. Oh, I will say this too about the He-Man thing. Mm-hmm. You talk about there's not uh, gay fans of Conan. A good two-thirds of the Wikipedia article on He-Man is about the gay readings of He-Man. It is so <laughs> wild <laughs> well, to go read that article. Yeah, I, that that's not surprising. I mean, if Conan, uh, t- you know, held up his sword and a rainbow emerged and he was suddenly a, a soft, mild-mannered man mm-hmm. in pink tights, I think uh, it would be a little bit of a stronger connection. I, I don't know. I, I think that this, I think what I meant at the beginning by being disappointed is I remember this film being more epic yeah, I, I can see as a you kid, know? you would probably even see that. I think in a yeah. modern context, it's like, oh, you can see the uh, the seams in the making of this movie and what they could yes. do and could not do at the time. And we always have this unfair hindsight problem because, yeah, the production values have changed so much. So I think one of the questions that's uh, gnawing at you, it seems like, is shouldn't this be better? Or if we made it today uh, in this genre, although I think we're mixing up genres, wouldn't it be cooler if... Trying to frame this in 1982, though, I mean, this is a pretty huge scoped film. I mean, mm-hmm. the sets are the uh, set locations they found, you know, everything is quite wide. They're using natural formations of rock and just putting these weird uh, cheap pillars to um, pretend that there's a civilization there. Some of the effects are super weird, but mm-hmm. they did the best they could to turn James Earl Jones into a giant snake only once. 
It like once. never happens again, which is uh, fucking stupid. There's like a Jesus theme. Like, why is he crucified and comes back to life? That's that was super. Does random. that mean that there's a Jesus in this world? Well, it's it's so direct, mm-hmm. right? And but they didn't even crucify him. Like they they actually stuck nails in his hands. Like the, yeah. the Christian iconography there was so random. It just came out of nowhere because in no other aspect is this man anything like any parable told in any part of the Bible. And then he uh, is resurrected and these weird, like, what yeah, was that about? They don't even mention it. Why did she come back to life as a goddess for one scene to save his life? And then dis- I, the and the last piece just falls apart. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in here. It's like, I don't understand how this fits together. Like, I feel like I need to read the books to understand what is actually happening I was gonna in this say, movie. It might sometimes. be fan service. Yeah. Sometimes you do that, right? Like mm-hmm. particularly in this type of genre where if you read the book, you know, maybe it makes more sense, but. That's the thing, like the, about combined characters, Thalsa Doom and the person who can turn into a snake are two different characters in the Conan stories and they're being uh, put together in this one, which is probably why it feels a little awkward. Although kind of a neat effect. I do say though, these are coming after the two Star Wars movies, the first two Star Wars movies after Close Encounters. Like we've seen great special effects already up until this point. And so you can kind of see like, okay, like this is level special effects even at the time i would have probably felt that i did find uh, valeria was the most fun to watch you know from an acting perspective she seemed to be the most stable <laughs> i mean to make the star wars comparison again too it's like that's what is also a little unfortunate like yeah, she's fun of course conan's there thalsa doom is great but none of the other characters really make a mark oh i felt gosh. where it's like you don't get your R2-D2 and C-3PO. You don't no. get the Emperor. You don't get all these other side characters that are kind of cool uh, in their own right. The biggest distraction was the dude with the hammer. I mean, that guy didn't even know he was in a movie. What the <laughs> hell? Was he a professional wrestler? Like, what was he? I, I, don't, I don't even know, know who he is. There's also the camel scene where he punches the camel, which I thought was actually funny, but like... That was kind of funny. I mean, that's the thing about Arnold and comedy. It's, that's a blazing saddle scene where he punches the horse, but... <laughs> um, and I think that's the other thing, particularly as the two of us kind of explore movies in time. A movie like this, if I'm, let's say, uh, 15, if I watch this, I don't know how old I was, maybe 20, but I haven't really studied up on the history of film. So I'm not, I'm going to miss that this is derivative of so many larger movies. But now that we've spent three years analyzing not just the movies we've watched, but where they borrow their material from, this movie loses so much mm-hmm. of its um, breadth. <sighs> Because I see pieces like the final scene is largely cut from Seven Samurai's climax. Right. You know, you see pieces of it that remind me of Dirty Harry, oddly, because it's not in a city and it's not Clint Eastwood, but there's something about the gritty mm-hmm. nature of like how the action is staged. You know, there's just a lot of weird things here that um, weren't as fun to watch. It's not the worst movie. Like, it's fine. No, it, but... it, it, it was stop and go for me. Like, there was yeah. stretches of like, oh, I'm really enjoying this. And then it goes like, oh, I'm not really loving this. Like, oh, now we're getting up there. And no, like, it just kept going up, yeah. up and down like that for me. Still enjoyable. Here's the, here's my big question though, to kind of wrap things up. There is this whole idea of the um, riddle of steel, right? His, mm-hmm. his father gives him this riddle of steel. I think this is where, I think there's more to this movie. Like if you really want to pick at it, I think this is maybe partly what Oliver Stone was trying to do, partly what John Milius was trying to do, was have this thematic point. We start with that Nietzsche quote about like the will of the people. The father's like steel, right? Like when I go up until Valhalla or whatever it is that they're going to, I have to answer this riddle of steel. Like what is, what the actual question, how the question is posed, but you have to answer this riddle of steel. Basically, who can you trust, right? Yeah. And it's like, 
the sword is what is mightier, right? It's like you use the sword. And then later on, Thalsa Doom, Doom is like, no, no, no. Flesh. The flesh is what's stronger because it's what wields the sword. And supposedly at the very end, what you're supposed to come away with it, there's a lot of articles you can read about this, is that what Conan is supposed to have realized of him like sitting on the steps pondering, which I don't know if Arnold can really pull this off 100%. But what no. you're supposed to understand is like, it's the will of the person. It doesn't matter the flesh or the steel. It's the actual will of the people that helps you. That's that's what the actual answer to the riddle of steel is. But I don't know if that ever like, hits home. Like, I don't know if you ever really nails that. And like, oh, that's what the point of this entire journey was. I mean, I feel like that's over contextualized something that if it started off as a pulp serial thing for a weird magazine, I don't think there was supposed to be a broader end point of a philosophical question. I really don't. Well, there could be, it sounds yeah. like the musings of somebody who's like, you know, it'd be really fucking cool is if you walked into a pit of snakes and he strangled everybody by the throat, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's for me how I envision the creation of this character and mm -hmm. this we have this problem i think and we do this for everything it's not just movies so we anthropomorphize animals like we just need a human context for anything that we see for it to be a living breathing thing so we watch a movie like conan where this giant man just kills a bunch of people and has sex with a bunch of women there's orgies there's snakes there's all kinds of weird stuff uh, and then we immediately have to be like well does this mean something what is this you know, and, and, and it you hate anything. having meaning being a part of any of the art that you consume. No, so. I, I love when there is meant to be a meaning. And we've mm -hmm. seen lots of intellectual attempts at discussing existence. This is not one of them. I don't give a fuck about the riddle of steel. I didn't even remember it. It's not important, right? right, right, right. The reason why it's brought up is because he wants him to have a really hard sword. <laughs> and I do. We're done here. Okay, well, the machinist said that we do have to wrap things up here. Uh, so let's get into our critics' choice. This is the part of the show where we discover what the critics thought at the time this film was released. Roger Ebert wrote this. He gave it three out of four stars. Oh, wow. And he says, I enjoyed Coden. Faithful readers will know that I'm not a fan of sword and sorcery movies, despite such adornments as Sandal Bergman, having discovered some time ago that having bosoms may be great, but a woman with a lively intelligence and a sly wit is even greater. The problem with Conan is the problem with all SNS movies. After the initial premise, which usually involves revenge, is established, we suspect there's little to look forward to except the sets, special effects, costumes, makeup, locations, action, and surprise entrances. Almost by definition, these movies exclude the possibility of interesting, complex characters. I'd love to see them let loose an intelligent, questing, humorous hero on one of these prehistoric sword swingers. Great. Don't you want a quippy sword swinger, Dave? Be like, that happened, and then he slices off <laughs> someone's head. I feel like we have so many of them now, I just can't <laughs> name them, but that's... I think people took that criticism to heart and tried to intellectualize action films a lot, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, to varying degrees of success. Very unfortunately, Pauline Kael did not review this movie, and it Probably guts me. refused Because I would yeah. love to have known what her thoughts are. She would have hated it. So I went to Letterboxd, and I have Mike D'Angelo, who writes, mm. I think he gave this two stars. As it goes along, though, the movie sporadically starts living up to the grandeur of Polydorus's justly acclaimed score. For every 10 or 15 minutes of stentorian idiocy, there's at least one genuinely arresting image. Conan adorned with heavy hieroglyphs all of the pillow book, James Earl Jones' face slightly elongating to signal his impending transformation, an effect so impressive that I can't fathom how it was accomplished back then. And especially the finale with KKK garbed women stepping forward to douse their torches in the reflecting pool, 
I can't imagine Milius intended any sociopolitical context. Stone, maybe, but it's surprisingly moving all the same, almost creating the impression that the movie has something to say, other than Conan Smash. Not sure I've ever seen a bad film with so many stirring moments, though each one only wound up making me feel bummed that it didn't have a worthier context. Oh, and the animated demons that torment Conan are just flat out fucking cool. They would have blown my mind at 14. I would have liked that comment. It's a good one. So we should answer the question, which I don't think we did last week with Quirrell, but uh, no, does this hold it. up and is it still culturally relevant? What do you think, Dave? Uh, it doesn't hold up that well. And I don't think it's that culturally relevant, frankly. I think it's a no and no for me. I think you did a lot of research, so mm -hmm. there are a lot of tendrils that come out of the history of this thing. But this, for the film itself, I think it's of a bygone era. Well, yeah, what's hard to answer with this is like, I don't know, I enjoyed myself watching this movie for the most part. Does the movie still hold cultural relevance? I think the character does. There's still new Conan novels being written. So, I mean, there's someone that's buying these. There's at no some way point. the new ones are the same character, though. I would hope not. Hmm. Netflix paid a bunch of money here a couple of years ago so they could develop new movies and TV shows about Conan. So I like, I get Oh, really? Yeah. Well, th that's probably not going to happen. Not, not now after their <laughs> issues. But there was the sequel, of course, in 1984, which I watched this week. And it's not Awful. good. It's fine. Uh, Red Sonia was made in 1985, which is very bad. Like, it's bad. It's not good at all. And then they did plan to do a third film. If you watch the sequel, it sets it up. It's like, we're going to talk about... To, him becoming the king like that's what the next film is going to be about and they planned it out it kind of gets into development hell partly to do because de laurentis didn't want to continue working with schwarzenegger they had this kind of a falling out with each other that film would eventually be made though they did make that third film they got adapted called call the conqueror starring kevin sorbo in 1997 which i also watched this week oh come on <laughs> you you really need more self-respect you watch Bad, bad. But come on. But I think better than Red Sonia. I'll say that much. I think it's actually better than that movie. And for 20 minutes, Harvey Firestein shows up and camps it up all the way to 11. <laughs> and for a brief, shiny moment, I'm like, oh, this could be fun. And then he's gone and then it gets bad again. <sighs> Kevin Sorbo. There is, of course, the attempted reboot called Conan the Barbarian, starring Jason Momoa, that came out in 2011. Still part of the Marvel Marvel Comics universe. We talked about that Netflix deal, and Arnold still wants to make this old man Conan movie, but uh, we'll see if that ever actually happens. Probably not. Maybe that's why Netflix bought it. Maybe. Who knows? Dave, we do need to rate this film, but before we do, that is what Dave and I thought. What do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave vs the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. We also release a video each week onto our YouTube channel that matches the movie that we're talking about that week. Uh, and if you want to see the... <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm not going under the bus yet. If you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our Letterboxd page. That's letterboxd.com slash KDVSTM. And if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the next apocalypse you can go to our Patreon page. There is a link in the show notes of this episode. You can support for as low as a dollar per month. Something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts. So let's get to the rating of this movie. Dave, out of five, what are you going to give Conan the Barbarian? I think I'm going to go with a 2.5. Whoa. Actually, that's way lower yeah. than I thought you were going to go. This is why I felt disappointed by it. I, I mean, it's not a bad movie. I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't, uh, I just couldn't. I thought I was going to like it a lot more. Maybe that's the disappointment. Yeah. yeah, I, uh, I, like I said, I was, I was kind of, uh, caught in between two things, but I'm giving it a 3.5. A 3.5. Oh, wow, that's pretty high. Which is good. So we'll average it out to a three, which is what we need to do on this podcast sometimes. I you know what it is. I think I was just arrested by the score 
because I love that score so much and some yeah, of the images were great. Good. And there's some iconic sure. uh, scenes that happen in this. So uh, I would watch this again if someone was to you turn You just like his oiled up body. The movie itself is not that good, Kyle. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> I enjoyed myself. It's going to be uh, average to a three. Do you think we should put this above or below Smithereens? Probably below in principle, but... Uh... What's after Smithereens? The only other film oh, that it's uh, yeah, the only other film that it would tie with is Quarrel, which is above Smithereens. I don't know. Quarrel is know definitely the, a better film, I think, than this movie is. This is the problem. I mean, with Smithereens, I just I don't know. I've developed a fondness for the idea of Smithereens. <laughs> you know, I that's the same way I feel about you, Dave. I've <laughs> all right. Well, let's put it below. Hey, oh, we're gonna get in trouble in this one. Well, I don't know if there's that many Conan apologists out there. Oh, so. Dave, come on. There's a, an apologist for everything. It's like porn. <laughs> there's a porn for everything on the internet, if you look hard enough. Conan the Barbarian wow. is going to enter our list at the number 13 position, right below Smithereens, right above Losing Ground. So we should see what we are going to watch next week. I'm just going to push this button. <laughs> well, we get to watch the Conan uh, ripoff. We're going to watch The Beastmaster. Next week, Dave. Oh, man. All right. Uh, is it long? Like, I think it's, it's like 90 shorter, minutes, right? I think. I think okay, it's good. Pretty, pretty yeah. short. He talks to the animals, Dave. He's like Dr. Doolittle. I feel like, for some reason, we'll see. I feel like I've seen it before. And it's like shot on a camcorder. It's basically a light porno, too. Like, it's... Yeah. Maybe I just watched a porn in the 90s. No. <laughs> it was, that was called The Breast Master, Dave. <laughs> Actually, probably, probably does there's probably yeah. a ripoff out there somewhere. Yeah. Oh, anyways, well, that yeah, that that uh, chandelier getting pretty pretty rickety from my point mm-hmm. of view. Mm-hmm. That's a slow, safe shake. is yeah, performing yeah. right now. That's yeah. a that's a foreshadowing shake, if I could mm. give it a name. Mm. Happy Pride.